and welcome to Joni Jams, the only podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, I'll be reviewing Joni Mitchell's 1977 album, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. Ba-da-boom! But <laughs> I don't know, I was expecting some sort of loud sound effect to come in, but um, nope, that was just me. Um, <laughs> so, oh my gosh, what a... Uh, what a what an interesting album to be reviewing this week. Um, you know, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter is such a uh hmm, how do I describe it? Controversial album. There's a lot of, you know, fans that I think really enjoy it, and then there's a lot of fans that absolutely loathe it for valid reasons in some parts, and then other parts, you know. Not I think there's some incredible things that go on on this album that are actually really underappreciated in uh Joni's larger scope of work, but uh, we'll get into that later. Um, so jo- this album came out um, December 13th, 1977, and it was Joni's last album to go gold. And I think I can understand why after people bought this album, they were going to stop buying her music because as we'll get into, Joni's sound on this album is uh, nothing short of completely different than anything she had done before <laughs> in her career. I mean, it's so funny because... When I think about albums like Ladies of the Canyon and Blue and, you know, anything before that, Joni's sound is so distinctly soft and folky. Not not fully folky, because, you know, she would get mad at me for saying that. Um, (laughs) She would get mad. Um, But, you know, it was a very lighter sound. Not the lyrics, but the sound of music, you know, just piano and guitar. And then you get to an album like this where... There's such a concept going on and there's such vivid, rich music. I, you know, I note that this album has symphony orchestral break. It has bongos, cowbells, voice work from other artists, you know, chanting, uh, siren-like singing. You know, there's all these different things that go on in this album that I don't think any audience at the time would ever have expected from a Joni Mitchell album. And I actually really commend her for trying something new, for trying something different. I think it's great. I love when artists experiment and go into different places. And this album is totally an experiment. Um, Kind of into the background um, of this album, it was one of her most, to me at least, it's one of her most ambitious projects that she has ever taken. Uh, I kind of note that this album feels like a dream when you listen to it. Uh, the theme of dreams really comes comes around a lot on this album, actually. Dreaming about a whole different about things. So Joni went underground in uh, 1977. And she booked a European tour, which was canceled. And she was, you know, claiming exhaustion. But she was actually working deeply and intensely on a new album and she gets with Jaco Pistorius again and kind of adds some new players. John Guerin is still here as well. Um, but Don Elias who becomes her boyfriend and she starts pushing further into this jazz fusion realm where actually, I mean, I honestly, I don't, where am I, <laughs> where are my jazz girls at? I think that this album is less jazz fusion than Hygiera was. This album to me is more, um, Hmm. How would I describe it? Like, well, there's some world music on it. There is, I don't know. I feel like there's some more rock songs on here. Like Off Night Backstreet, I would think is like more of a rocky type song. So is Jericho. Um, more rock than it is jazz fusion. But I guess those can all kind of blend. 
And uh, this album was near the end of her Asylum contract, so she definitely had more freedom when she was working on the music, which you can totally tell. I mean, I totally see her being free in the recording studio. Like, when we get to the 10th world, we'll talk about how it's so loose and fluid and everyone's just kind of doing their own thing, which I absolutely love. I would say that this album, to me, feels kind of like a universe far away from anything Joni ever made. You know, it's a... It captures a feeling of freedom and pleasure and the exotic and dreams like no other album, I think, in her career. I really don't think there's any other album that's as far away feeling as this album. But I love that. It feels like kind of like you're going on a vacation when you listen to it. I should note, though, that uh, critics did not like this album. Loathe is a good word to describe, maybe. <laughs> they did not like this album. I mean, not as much as Doggy Dog, which we'll get to. We will get to. We'll talk about that. <laughs> but critics did not like this album, and they just... The Joni Mitchell sound, I think, they felt was lost. Which, to me, is so... It's such bullshit that critics don't appreciate and don't commend artists for trying new things. I, I've always disliked that about critics, is that... When an artist tries something new, they are automatically panned in the beginning before they're actually appreciated. And I think Don Juan's Reckless Daughter's music has become more appreciated over time, especially a track like Paprika Plains or... Uh, hmm, I'm trying to think of another one. I mean, I obviously one of my favorite songs is the closer of this album, but we'll get to that. And I just, I don't know, I think it's getting more appreciated as the years go by, but that's a whole nother, whole nother thing. And I also, one thing I wanted to note was that on Hygiera, we talked about, or we, I talked about the kind of free verse words that she was doing on a lot of the songs. If I think about a song like Blue Motel Room or like, you tell those girls that you got German measles, she's coming back home. Like kind of these very free rambles. Well, now on this album, the rambling gets even more intense. I mean, I know we talked about the coke on the last album. This album's coke must, I mean, well, actually, no, I think she was stopped at this time. Huh. I wonder then why she was so crazy in these. I mean, the metaphors and the the imagery she creates on some of these songs is fucking batshit. But I love it. I love it. Like, it's so fun. Um, and I was also going to say that Jocko, of course, kills it on this album. He just gives some fascinatingly beautiful, you know, music that blends so well with Joni's concepts. Like, everything she wanted him to do, Jocko was able to find. And I just am absolutely obsessed with their collaborations. It's so sad that they only made, what, three albums working with each other? I guess four, if you include Shadows and Light. I wish he would have, I don't know, been more a part of her music, but things change and things move on, but that's okay. So um, let's get into, uh, well, this is the part that I was dreading. You know, so we have to talk about the artwork of this album, because I talk about the artwork of every album. And I know everyone's waiting to hear what I have to say about this artwork. First, let's talk about the non-offensive things on the cover. Um, so the album uses the imagery of a paprika plane um, that's painted by Joni, a bold blue and a bold orange paprika-like sand, or I guess it's just a block of color on the ground. Very, very intense, actually. I really, the contrast is very interesting from, like, an artistic perspective. I really, really like the color choices. And then also a lot of um, white doves in a lot of different places. The white doves obviously will come back around as a theme. Later in the album, we get to, you know, Noah's white doves and 
the birds, I guess, are more talked about on Don Juan's Reckless Daughter with, like, eagles in the sky. So that's sort of a common... There's She uses actually a lot of things on the album that are themes you're going to hear, and she puts them on the cover, which actually is really interesting. I like when artists do that. It kind of gives you, like, a little look inside of what's going to go on inside of the album. Also, Joni on the front cover, she, um, in the middle, is wearing a beaded, really kind of slay gown. I have to admit, I love this gown and the heels she's wearing. It's very fabulous. And um, on her dress, she has a naked sort of Eve. I think it's an Eve painting. It looks like some sort of like Renaissance Eve painting surrounded by a bunch of Mickey Mouse balloons. And there's a red Mickey Mouse balloon that sort of floats throughout um, all the different artwork on the album. Because obviously when I, oh, I should say like when I reference the artwork of the albums, any album that I do or that I look over for Joni, I do like look at like the vinyl sleeves and the back cover and stuff. All of those I think are a part of it. And I love there's one vinyl sleeve where there's a picture of Joni in that beaded gown, but it's like her facing the paprika plains backwards. It's it's a really gorgeous shot. And if they ever and when they reprint this album, I kind of really hope that they pick that shot as the cover for reasons we'll get into. Um, also on the back of the album, well, okay, well, here goes in the offensive stuff. We have um, Joni shown as a little girl, very young Joni, in some sort of indigenous garb or clothing, um, which I think is definitely in reference to Paprika Plains, you know, when she says, I would tie on colored feathers and I would beat the drum like war. I'll let you guys think about that, as you will, about, you know, the the uh, correctness of wearing that, but she did it. So there it is. And then also there's a lot of text. Oh wait, I should also talk about the little boy. There's a little boy on the front cover in a little suit. I don't really know who he is, but he's, you know, there, there's also little word bubbles that come off the figures, which is so weird. This album is so wacky. I don't, it's so strange. Like some of the words that come out, we have like one of them says in my dreams, we fly, which I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what that, what's that saying? I don't know. Then there is one that says like, by la mi rumba, which comes from the 10th world, obviously, which is like, you know, dance to the beat or dance to the rhythm, um, or dance my love, I guess. Um, and then another one, which is very offensive is Muslims, Muslims, hey, hey, which no, absolutely not. I'm just not even gonna, yeah, anyways, entertain that. And so now let's talk about dun dun dun, the actual you know, figure that everyone references on this album cover that kind of is the reason I think a lot of people are so turned off by this album, which I understandably can, you know, see why they are, is um, Joni in blackface on the cover. Um, Now, she is obviously in her character, which she's created, named Art Nouveau, who is, as she describes, a black hipster. That's her alter ego that she... (laughs) that she was inspired to do because she saw a man walking down the road and he complimented her and he was black and she decided to go as him for a Halloween party and uh, no one recognized her. And she, I think she felt sort of confident in it and identified with this character she made. And then when they were shooting the, the cover for this album, the photographer was bothering her, like annoying her. And so she went in the back and put this album, this outfit on and the blackface makeup on and then came out and, all I what I all I really have to say because so much has already been said about you know the offensiveness of the of this and the absolute you know lack of I don't know awareness or 
you know, validation to the offensiveness of blackface. I just have to say that I do not condone what she did on the cover at all. Joni made a lot of mistakes in her career, and this is definitely one of her biggest. And I obviously on this, you know, podcast or my own personal beliefs, I have no, there's no justification for it. It's absolutely not okay in any way. There's such a history of blackface in this country that is just very, very offensive and degrading. And I just, I can't, I can't say enough how, how it's sad, how sad it makes me that Joni did this on the cover, but she, you know, has made some mistakes in her career. No, what it, she is not a perfect artist by any means. And this is definitely an example of that. And, uh, yeah, I don't really know. I don't want to linger on this too long because I don't know. It's just very, it's very uncomfortable subject and it's just all around just bad that, you know, it happened, but I just have to say that I don't condone it. It's absolutely not okay. Blackface is not okay on any level. And, you know, this, this album cover, they're because of this on the album cover. And, you know, she does it later on the Shadows and Light tour um, and Furry Sings the Blues. You know, I think that kind of it damages some of the respect people have for her. And that's sort of Joni's argument to, or, you know, cross the bear and not mine. So yeah, that's where I will leave that. But uh, yeah, so I, I just don't have much more I want to say about it, but this cover and all the artwork on this album is very, it's very odd, but it's interesting. It's definitely an interesting, wacky sort of look, but if you listen to the music on this album, you will definitely understand, you know, why the cover looks the way it looks. So I'm thinking that we should start the music of this album going song by song, as we do every week. (laughs) Every single week going song by song. So let's start with the opener of this album. Sorry, I feel like the beginning was such a a, a sad kind of monotone thing. I have to say, this album is very exciting to be reviewing. It doesn't sound like it in my voice, I promise. I'm actually a little sick right now, so that explains it but okay let's start with track one overture slash cotton avenue now what i have to say is that this having an overture or whatever she describes it to this album is one of the most fucking cool things about this album you know i said earlier that this album you know it's like a dream but it's also very theatrical in places there's such a like the voice work she does or the music has like a theatrical quality to it and making an overture of sorts i'm using quotation marks <laughs> with my fingers is so it's so interesting i absolutely love it and it i can't describe it but there's an ominous sort of siren you know thing she's doing in the background while all of these guitars are sort of playing on top of each other in this very weird kind of like like they're kind of just strumming and and it's very quiet with just these guitars overlaying each other i'm sure joni was playing on one of them you know jocko was obviously playing on some and joni just behind this very far behind you know i i don't know how they did the sound quality is just going like do 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 like like singing kind of these like hey hey all these beautiful like kind of creepy sireny things i don't know it's it feels like she's a siren luring you in how many times can i say siren in one sentence a lot apparently <laughs> and so all these guitars are building do 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 and then it gets silent for a second 
and all of a sudden it rips. I don't know how to describe it. And it just goes, oh my God. When that beat drops, I get fucking chills. Like it just rips in like, and it leads you into the first song of the album, Cotton Avenue. It's, oh, it's so good. It's when you like, if you hear, when you hear it for the first time and you hear that break from this like overture kind of very spooky sort of quiet moment and then it just rips with that guitar. That's why I say this album has a rock quality because that beat dropper sort of climax is, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I, it's one of the reasons I love this album so much. And I just, I, it's such a cool opening to this album. Like what a way to set it. You know, if you were to say that this album is in like a dream space, what a way to like put you in that space. It's, it's, it's so good. I absolutely love it. And, um, I probably, so then we move into, and obviously like this overture kind of blends into, after that beat drop into the first track called Cotton Avenue. Now, I don't think Cotton Avenue, I've looked up, it says that there's some place called Cotton Avenue, but I don't think it's like, I don't really think she was describing a real place. I listened to her in the 80s when she sang this song, describe it, and she was talking about how, imagine yourself kind of ironing your best shirt and looking out in the distance and seeing a city and, you know, it's steaming and looking like somewhere you want to go and you're thinking, and she says, this is Joni's words, not mine. She says, "Mm -mm -mm, that's where I'm going to go take myself tonight. And this is a song called Cotton Avenue. That's how she says it. Cotton Avenue in her Canadian accent. (laughs) Neo. I don't know. Um, so I, some of the, it's kind of like a just good kind of jazzy, rockish song. I don't know. It's very, it, there's not too much going on. Uh, you know, she says, and the frogs and dogs and night birds started up singing sweet country lullabies. I love that. Who loves my singing? <laughs> my sing. I don't feel like speaking it. It's more interesting singing it. So she's basically kind of luring the listener and telling the listener that, you know, she's wanting to go to a place of sort of pure freedom where, you know, young, lo- young blood is ripe with kind of this like free spirit boiling and steaming with passion. This album has a lot of kind of sexual kind of passion to it. And she's going to find that place. You know, she's wanting to go deep in that city and get dressed up and see all the shiny people dancing, you know, out in Cotton Avenue. It kind of sets this, it builds this picture where you go from this overture where you, I, I always imagine it like this, where I'm, like the overture is in this like kind of far off deserty kind of field. And then you look out on the field and you hear all these like sirens kind of singing in. And then when you suddenly get this picture, it's the city and it's Cotton Avenue and it's, it's just like beaming with lights and people and shining. And then I think she sort of, I kind of saw this really interesting way to describe that the lyric, like, if you got a place to go, you got to go there. If you got no place special, then you go no place special. I saw that they sort of were saying that that's sort of saying that young people, because this song has a kind of a, like, about, like, the youth and, like, the young blood. Kind of, in France, they kiss on Main street but, you know, whatever. That's a whole other thing. But it was basically saying that it's saying that young people are, have the spirit of youth and dance and all of this, like, young energy, I guess, inside of them. So even if they're not in Cotton Avenue, they can have this, you know, in any place they go. Any Because she's like, anytime you go to Cotton Avenue, anytime. I think I think she's saying Cotton Avenue is more of a spirit than it is an actual place. But if you were to, you know, see it plainly in its words, you could say, oh, Cotton Avenue is this little city that she's wanting people to go to. And I mean, it's really, it's really cool. I, I love... I, I love this song. I think it's really interesting. And this is such a cool opener. It's not my 
favorite Joni opener just because there's not too much going on in it, like lyrically, but the music is absolutely brilliant. And I just have to, again, stress that rip of like, da da in the beginning is so cool. And the music on Cotton Avenue is cool too. It has kind of a like interesting vibe. The, um, there's actually three songs on this album that are all in the same tuning. Um, Off Night Backstreet, Silky Veils of Ardor, and Cotton Avenue, like Overture Cotton Avenue, which is really cool. I like that they, she kind of was sticking to this similar tuning. I think she does that sometimes where she'll kind of use the same tuning on the album for a few songs, which I like. Like she does that on um, Night Ride Home with Passion Play at Night Ride Home. So anyways, the song though ends out into this twisted kind of distortion where the guitars are sort of kind of you know, they're like, dun, dun. they're getting kind of like strummed out of tune. Dun, dun. I wonder how they, how did they do that effect? I don't know. I'm not an engineer. Henry Louis, <laughs> how did you do the effect? But it kind of fades out a little bit and then suddenly you blend into the next track, which is such a, a vast kind of change of pace suddenly for the viewer. And the next track would be Talk to Me. Talk to Me. So, to start talking about Talk To Me, I thought it would be interesting to <laughs> give this quote. Um, so there's this really great book. It's called um, Joni in Her Own Words by uh, Malka Murram. It's really, it's a really fascinating, kind of takes Joni from different time periods where the same interviewer is talking to her. And um, one of the tracks that they, she get that Malka asks Joni about is Talk To Me. And these are, so this is a quote from the book that Joni says, I'm not going to do it in her voice because I don't feel like doing it for that long. But she says, oh, talk to me. It's like, are we not an artistic community? Can't we talk about art, painting, philosophy, history? Do we have to talk about? And then she's referencing Bob Dylan um, doing an interview <laughs> with Joni and all these other like men like on some sort of tour. I don't know. And she says in Bob Dylan's voice, she goes like, this is what Bob Dylan says to her. Are you still with that drummer? Do you does he get you off? Does he? come close with that camera and the lips and say something about sex, Joni. And so Joni said, I'm not going to say anything sexy. I'm going to say something revolting. And it came to my mind, men fake coming. <laughs> men fake coming. Because you never hear that said. The cameras went down and the room went blank. That was the end of that. I, oh my God. That is so fucking funny. This is when I say Joni is unironically hilarious because she says things like this and you're just like, oh my god. Like, you can just imagine her grin when she says, this whole song, I imagine Joni with, like, the world's biggest grin about all the words, like, all the different things she's saying. Like, some of the lyrics, which I'll get to. It's just, it's so funny. And, um, it's, I, I just love this song. I, I think that this song really truly is about Bob Dylan. Like, and I know she kind of says that about the quote, but I think in general, it's about like Bob Dylan and just the artistic community of rock stars who don't want to talk about the actual like deeper things and what art is and, you know, all the context of art, history, philosophy, things like that. Artists would rather talk about sex, drugs and rock and roll and roadies. And Joni's saying, can't we just talk about something else? Like, and I think this Mr. Mystery she's referring to is more just her talking to like Bob Dylan or some sort of rocker. Uh, it doesn't have to be Bob Dylan. I think, you know, it's just easier to <laughs> pin it on him. Pin it on Bob, okay? No? Anyone else think he's pin it on Bob? No? Okay. Well, just me. So, 
So I was going to say, this song is so just witty and hilarious. And the I was talking about the words and the rambling. This song is like a rambling, like crazy. Like she's just going all over the place. Let's talk about the opening line. Uh, I didn't know I drank, or it's not the opening, but somewhat opening. I didn't know I drank such a lot till I pissed a tequila anaconda the full length of a parking lot. <laughs> what the fuck? Till I pissed a tequila anaconda the full length of a parking lot. That is so fucking funny. Again, literally hilarious. I'm, I'm pretty sure what she's saying is uh, that she's drank so much that she's in a parking lot and peeing. And, you know, it's, I don't know, I guess maybe it's the color of alcohol and she's like pissing down the parking lot. And it's super, it's so much piss that it's, you know, the length of a, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to explain, but it's such a funny lyric. I just, I love this like ramblingness. And then. You know, behind her, this guitar is just strumming like like it's adding to this rambly kind of crazy mess. It's very unique. And then she just starts talking about things that she wants to talk about. You know, why don't we talk about Jesus and Hitler and Howard Hughes, you know, or any like she just wants to talk about anything, really. And she just starts naming things she'll talk about little, you know. Okay, but I, you know, it's like, okay, Joni, name everything. But I love that. I, I, I love this song so much. Or, or what about when she's, uh, from the strings and arrows of a rageous romance, and then she goes, I stole that from Willie the Shake. You know. <laughs> she's just like, oh my God, what? Yes, I stole that from Willie the Shake, of course. And I always, oh, I love the part when she goes, she goes, Romeo, Romeo. I, like, imagine her with, like, a really coy kind of, sexy sort of moment where she's just like flirting like oh Romeo Romeo and I know she's like just trying to quote more different like references just to talk about but it's so funny or maybe she's calling the viewer Romeo huh I don't know <laughs> I'm not sure what it is and then she says you know you spend every sentence as if it was Mark Currency come and spend some on me you know she just wants all she wants is to talk that's what this song really is she just wants to talk about something deeper than fucking sex and rock and roll and then she ends the song with I'm always talking and I'm gonna do it I'm I'm gonna do it you guys I'm gonna do it I'm always talking chicken squawk <laughs> oh my god what coke was she on? Literally, what fucking coke was she on when she did this song? Because I, what, who, who does that? I don't know. I'm obsessed with it though. Ba, 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 ba. It's just, it's so good. And then at the end, when she's like, who, who talk to me? Like she just kind of fades it out with some really cool vocalizing. But this song is so good. It's genuinely such a fun listen. And I just, I absolutely love it. There's, I, I really have no critiques. I uh, it, The words are cool. The music's great. It's kind of this very fast pace. And uh, 10 out of 10 for the bark, 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 bark moment, you know? I don't know. That's how I feel. But uh, yeah, let's go to the next track. So this next track is a song from Miles for Isles that was reused on this album, which is Jericho. Now, um, I talked about a lot of Jericho on Miles for Isles, so I don't really have much more to say about it again. Um, I just want to... This was obviously from the Miles of Isles tour. This isn't the version used on the album, though. This is, like, a different live version of it. But it's still the same song, Jericho, which is just basically a song I think about kind of Joni saying... 
that she wants to keep herself open to love and she wants the wall that her partner is building to kind of slowly crumble down just like the wall of Jericho, which is a super cool kind of metaphor, which I love, but it's a very low key track. I don't know. It's never been like my favorite Joni song. It has a kind of a low key jazz groove to it, which is just, I don't know. It's not my favorite thing, but it's, it's good. It's good. And uh, I like her line, I need your confidence and a bit of your extra time. In turn, I'll give you mine. That's a very cool plead for her partner. I just She's saying, I just want your confidence in this love and, you know, a bit of your extra time. And in turn, for those key things that you can give me, I'll give you everything. I'll give you all of mine, which is a really beautiful... I don't know, a beautiful description of that. Or I I love how she talked about maybe it's you, Judas, in the end. Maybe maybe this love is just a guise and maybe you are just Judas in the end, which we will get to in the end when, at the end of the album, <laughs> when I think she realizes he was Judas in the end and fucked her up. But uh, yeah, Jericho's, it's, it's a good track and it fades out really cool, has a cool fade out to it. But I just, and it works well in this album. Yeah, I will say that it, it's, uh, it fits well here. It's just for me, Jericho's never been my favorite track. I don't know. I have weird feelings about this song for some reason that I just can't pinpoint down. It's just never, never been my fave, but that is okay. You know, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be my fave, I guess. But, uh, my next track that we're going to go into is definitely a fave. Oh my fucking God. Oh my fucking God. Get ready to explode. Oh my God. Here we go on Paprika Plains. But <laughs> This song, or yeah, this song is just like, why was I like, I was like, I was, I almost said this album. This song is a fucking masterpiece. What to say about Paprika Plains besides that this is a, one of Joni's most conceptual, bold, daring choices she could have done on an album. This is such a daring choice to do a whole side with just one song, with Paprika Plains, with the nine, eight to nine minute, I think, right? Eight to nine minute, excuse me, musical break, where it's an orchestral break with piano and or and an orchestra, out of tune orchestra, I should say. Um, it's just, oh, it's so good. I love this song. If I had to rank all of Joni's songs, this would definitely be in my top five. Maybe number two. I don't know my favorite, I think my favorite Joni Mitchell, well, my favorite Joni Mitchell song is Song for Sharon, but I think this might be number two, and I think number three is also on this album as well. But let's go into kind of the genesis, the genesis of Paprika Plains. I have to say this song is a very emotional song for me for some reason. It makes me very emotional. I can't explain it, but that's besides the point. So the genesis is, an, is from an offhand remark, Bob Dylan. Oh my God, he's back. He's back, you guys. Help. <laughs> is an offhanded remark Bob Dylan made to Joni at a rap party Paul McCartney threw on the Queen Mary um, after Paul after recording Venus and Mars. Oh my God. And so Bob asked Joni, he said, what would you paint in this room that they're in? You know, Joni's a painter. so And she said, I'd paint this mirrored ball spinning and I'd paint the women in the washroom and the band. And then a few nights later, or maybe it was a few months later, I can't remember if it was a few nights or a few months, in a dream she has, she has these sort of, this image comes back to her, but then she also sees an image of, oh, I'll try to summarize it as fast as I can, but she's in a plane, and she grazes over a paprika plane in this, like, helicopter, and she goes down, like, the helicopter starts going close to the land where she sees a group of 
indigenous people. I don't know what they're doing. They're just like looking at her or something. And then suddenly when she looks back up and looks out at the distance, there's a nuclear sized bomb that goes off and it like gets closer and closer and closer until everything explodes. And then Joni's like naked and flies back into infancy. It's, it's a lot. It's the album liner notes describe the dream. They're not like the whole orchestral break is the dream and so the album liner notes explain what that is, but those aren't in the actual, you know, you don't hear that being read, which would be kind of cool, actually, to hear the, um, what is it, the album liner notes about the dream read over the orchestra. Anyways, I don't know. If anyone wants to do that, that would be really interesting. But it's just, this out. This song goes through so many different places. Obviously, we have that dream. We have that comment she made to Bob Dylan about the mirrored ball spinning, and she just goes into such a... She tells such a story. So in the beginning, we're in this bar. And it's kind of a dance hall bar. And it's really a bar, I think, reminiscent of her days in can back in Canada when she was a child. Really, I mean, she says back in my hometown, they would have cleared the floor to watch the rain come down. There's this rain going on outside while there's this dance hall. And everyone's inside dancing it up. <laughs> dancing it up and making deals. That's different song different album anyways um and so suddenly she takes from that thing and then starts talking about kind of the i don't know the indigenous people of canada that she grew up seeing all in their beaded leather and she would want to join them and tie on their colored feathers and beat the drum like war which is a really interesting picture to make and that's sort of why she has that photo of her on the back of the album which you know Mm, it, okay. Um, so she sort of starts talking about the uh, indigenous populations of Canada uh, kind of frequenting this bar, or this area, I think, maybe this dance hall specifically. And then the third verse, the th or the fourth verse, sorry, of this beginning opening pure just piano. Oh, by the way, Joni's piano in the song is brilliant, but we'll get into that in a second is the fourth verse is basically a description about uh, how to describe it, like colonization and sort of cleansing out people's ethnic identities, like kind of whitewashing them to fit the norms of society. You know, she talks about when the church came through, they traded beads for bottles and they smashed them on railway Avenue. Um, if actually, if anyone here is a big Prince fan, Joni was a huge print. Or Prince was a huge Joni fan, and um, his song Raspberry Beret actually is take place in this world. You know, he talks about Mr. McGee's or whatever. Anyways, or Railway Avenue. Sorry. Yeah. Anyways, I my <laughs> that's how I get myself back on track. I'm like, brr, okay. So they traded their beats for bottles, and then the line. This line literally sends shivers down my spine, and they cut off their braids and lost some link with nature. It's just. <sighs> It's so good. It's so, it's so powerful because it, what I, I know what it represents. I know what that's saying. That is representing just all people who get their culture washed out by a larger group of people that come in and then they lose that link with their true identities or their original identities. And that's what she's saying. And so then she says, you know, I'm floating into dreams. I'm floating back into my dream. She's floating back in time. She's floating into the dream she had the other night with the, you know, ball. And so then we go into 
the orchestral break. So a little history behind this orchestral break. Oh my God, I have so much to say. A little history behind this orchestral break is Joni woke up really sick and called Henry Louis and said, we need to go into the studio. I need to record. And so she goes onto piano because she was having this like weird piano where she couldn't hit a wrong chord. And so she goes into the studio and records two hours worth of piano playing, fading, you know, just kind of just constantly playing. And she just could not hit a wrong note. And so what they ended up doing was taking these piano set, this piano session, kind of splicing it up and then adding an orchestra behind it and then making that into the dream sequence of this whole of the song. So suddenly when Joni's saying, I'm floating back into my dreams. Oh shit. I forgot to say this. So when she finally floats back into her dreams, it's when she says, I dream paprika planes. And I could cry. I literally could cry. Oh my God. Talking about this part because when the orchestra beats in suddenly, suddenly you're in the dream. You see these paprika planes. I dream paprika planes. Boom. And it's like that overture moment. Boom, boom. Vast and bleak and God forsaken. Boom. Paprika plants. Like, it just, oh, the way it hits, it scratches my brain in the perfect way. It's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. And it's an, anyone who loves this song, listen to it. I actually recommend the remixed version from A Song for a Prairie Girl, which is like a compilation album that she did. Because she kind of heightens the piano of it more. But it's so good you just suddenly suddenly i see this picture this sudden hits you of paprika planes in your head but anyways back to this <laughs> anyways back to the, this dream i just oh, i love this song so we have you know this orchestral break and the strings and the strings over time ended up getting uh they were put on after like the string and then the ending tag were put on after but the strings were out of tune because of you know it had to do with weather and things like that i can't there's it's a long story but anyways, when Joni first met Charles Mingus, because <laughs> Joni was telling the people in the recording studio, she said, these strings are out of tune. They said, Joni, you know, women hear things. And, and so then Joni, when she first met Charles Mingus, he said, this is how Joni describes it. She said that Charles said, and this is what she always says for her Charles voice. He said, uh, the strings on Paprika Plains are out of tune. And she goes, oh, yeah, you noticed that, too. And that's how they built their bond, because he was like, oh, wait, this girl does know what she's talking about this skinny ass folk singer. And so, you know, there's that whole thing, but I just love that this, this song kind of has a Charles Mingus origin story with her relationship with him. And the orchestral break is beautiful. It tells the story of the dream instrumentally, which is, it's, it's great. And I highly recommend listening to that. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe it without listening to it, but it's a beautiful orchestral break. And then obviously they had a tag or so the, Oh, sorry. I'm trying to remember where I was. So then the dream fades back in. Cause it goes like, Duh, and it like pauses for a second and you like feel this tension. And then the piano comes back in the rain retreats. So suddenly we're back in consciousness. The rain retreats and uh, she's back in the bar and, you know, everyone's on the floor. She spots someone through the smoke and with her eyes on fire from J&B and Coke. That's so fucking funny. J&B and Coke. As you're coming through the door, she's floating. She's coming back for more. And then, you know, no matter what you do, I'm floating back to you. Oh, oh, well, actually, she says the band plugs in again. And so then all of a sudden the band, you hear like Jocko and the drums suddenly start plugging in and 
beating in and then it leads no matter what you do I'm floating back to you to end the song and it ends with a absolutely fucking brilliant tag oh my god the tag to this song is so good it's such a oh it's so amazing it, they just rock out like you know, the burn dun, 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 dun. it's so good this song is just a masterpiece it was such a daring experiment of Joni to do but it tells a beautiful story it, it's just, it's amazing and I I wish more people talked about this song like when they talk about Joni and her career because this is one of those songs that deserves to constantly be getting recognition because it is absolutely brilliant and I just I love it and I I just can't say enough amazing things but that one moment though where I dream paprika planes is just ugh, it's pure gold pure and utter gold am I right ladies and gents and everyone yeah, I don't know whatever Okay, so we have that track about dreams, but now we're about to enter a thruple of songs that all kind of blend into another sort of dream. And uh, the first song of that would be Otis and Marlena. So Otis and Marlena is one of the more acoustic tracks, one of the less, you know, kind of busy tracks on the album. And it tells a story that is, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's basically a song talking about these two characters, Otis and Marlena, who are kind of a old couple that traveled down to Florida on vacation or some sort of, yeah, Florida, you know, and Marlena under her foster grant sunglasses goes down to Florida. There's some really kind of grotesque lyrics in this song, you know, uh, the grand parades of cellulite of, well, she says cellulite, but it's cellulite, grand parades of cellulite jiggling to her golden pools. Like, they jiggle into surgery, hopefully beneath a blade. Dream of golden beauty. Dream, dream, back to dream, because dreams are literally all over this album. And it's just, like, kind of an interesting song. It's like a character study song, basically. And it's kind of talking about the frivolity of their lives while there's something more serious going on. So they're in Florida, you know, watching cartoons, swimming by the pool, uh, getting rid of their jiggling bodies <laughs> while back in Washington... Muslims stick up Washington, she says. Uh, and this is in reference to the um, 1977 attack, the Han Han Hanafia siege, um, which you can look into, I guess. I it's hard to kind of explain. but So there's something more serious going on in the world. But then on the whole other side, there's this couple who are living in complete ignorance is bliss, you know, not caring at all. Uh, the travelogue version, I have to say, of this song is more interesting it's kind of like a, it, it feels, I don't know, I always think of it feels like I like court waltz, but anyways, this version is the one we're on. So, you know, this is a very kind of funny song. There's some, you know, funny lyrics on here and she's, and I don't know, there's not much to say about it, I guess. It's just about, I don't know, frivolity of lifestyles where more serious things are going on. But the reason I talk about this album being a thruple is because this song starts the dream. So, you know, whoever this character is, Otis and Marlena, they're sitting um, from their hotel room, watching out like it's an opera box. And then it feels like a dream that she has awake, is what Joni says. So she's in this, like, this whole world feels like a dream in this hot, exotic climate, feels like a dream she's having. And suddenly that dream starts to come to fruition and oh my god oh it's so cool so the song ends um with muslim stick up washington and then all of a sudden you're like 
The siren comes back. The dream siren comes. Oh, my God. I just realized that. Yeah, the dream siren comes back from the beginning. And she's like, and it's like, oh, uh, like, Washington. Do, do, do. I don't know. I pff, What the fuck was that? Anyways, and then it starts fading. And all of a sudden you hear like, you hear some like, you hear all these like drums starting to come in. I do like my dang, banging on my desk. You hear like conga drums starting to come in and they're fading. They're fading in, they're fading in. And suddenly you are in the 10th world and like the next track, the 10th world. It's so cool. The fade in is so fucking cool. It's, oh, it's brilliant. So you fade into the 10th world, which is basically like you're suddenly entering this dream kind of not the 10th world basically is like you're in a whole nother realm. It's like you're into a new realm of this, like, I don't know, climate of I it feels to me like you're in either South America or like the Caribbean based on the instruments that they're playing and also they're using they're speaking in Spanish at points. So that's kind of where I would say this 10th world is, but it doesn't really matter either way. Uh, I, I saw one thing that said this song was inspired by Joni's trip that she took to a Brazilian um, festival which I thought would be like a festival in Brazil, I should say, which I thought maybe that's true. I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, factual or just lore. Um, <laughs> one thing about this song is that it was released as a single in France for some fucking reason. I, I have no idea. And um, this song is basically just, I don't know how I would describe it. It's just a room of players playing off each other, but there's not really a structure. There's no structure. It's just loose. Some of the musicians featured on this song are um, Don Alias, who, you know, Joni's works with a lot, um, Manolo Badrena, Alex Acuna, and uh, Arito uh, Moriera. And then also, oh my God, mother alert, mother alert, Shaka Khan. What? Oh my God. You'll hear like, dream, like a dream. She just, Shaka Khan joins us for the next two songs, just in the back, very silently. But she joins in. Um, Joni called her to do this late night recording session to just kind of join in and add some of her amazing vocals. Shaka Khan is a brilliant fucking singer. And she does a version of Dreamland for Joni's 75th birthday, which is brilliant with Los Lobos. It's really good. But anyways, um, so all these players, um, the drummers that I mentioned earlier, are playing. Um, they're playing congas, bongos, cowbells. And they're playing along, kind of just playing off with each other. And then they start doing these chants, you know, they're saying baila, dance, in Spanish, the chants are in Spanish, uh, baila, they're, uh, some of the words I don't, I wasn't able to get a full clear about what they're trying to say. A lot of it was just like onomatopoeia sounding and stuff like that, or whistling, but uh, some of the things I was able to find were to say like a Venezuelan in New York or in Cal- California. And I think it's referring to one of the players. He's saying, I'm a Venezuelan in New York or California playing my music, but I bring the music from my heritage across the whole world. I bring it to everyone, including to the gringos in the room, <laughs> which the gringos are like white people basically, which is so funny. So he's basically saying like, I'm bringing this music that I'm playing this, you know, music of my heritage into this room, which, and the music is amazing. I have to say that the, the pure percussion on this song is absolutely brilliant, brilliant percussion. It's one of the most daring projects. You know, we go from Paprika Plains, which is a daring project. This song is even just as daring because it's not structured. Joni's barely in it. She's just saying dream on, dream on, or um, what is the chant? Uh, Baila mi rumba. Like that's all they say. Baila. Like, and then kind of, there's also a part where the, uh, 
the players, like the percussion players, are trying to teach the gringos in the room how to dance. Like they're saying, Esquerda, Esquerda, left, left. Like they're like, go this way, this way. And they're, it's so funny. Like I just, it's so good. I, I love it. Like this is such an amazing track and it transports you into the dream world perfectly. You are suddenly transported into this dream world where you are, I don't know, you're, I mean, you're just in a whole nother realm. It's so, it's, you know, Otis and Marlena's dream world blends into this and it's just brilliant. I love this song. I actually tweeted the other day, I was talking about like, imagine a Joni fan who liked her earlier work suddenly clicking on this song. Like they were probably gagged. And I mean, there's lore that this album, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, is one of the most returned records ever because, and I think it's because people just didn't know, they were like, what is this? Who is this? And what have you done with Joni Mitchell? But I love it. I think this track is brilliant. I think all the percussion players are absolutely, they are absolutely, you know, they just kill it with their work and they do a great job. And I, I, I love this song. The Tenth World is a amazing, amazing, amazing track. And then it blends into kind of the description of this world that Joni does, which is Dreamland, the next track. And Dreamland is actually a song that was originally written during the hissing of summer lawns. And if you listen to um, the seating of summer lawns, which is like a demo version of that album, this song is on it but with a more instrument, like there's more instruments on it, but this is just drums and Joni singing with a shaka kind of backing her. And this song just describes a world basically that's different from her own. You know, it's from this like kind of white woman ethnocentric perspective, but you know, it's, you know, it is what it is. And she basically says, you know, it's a long, long way from Canada, but a long way from snow chain, donkey vendor slice. You know, she starts start describing this world. I love that. It's a long, long way from Canada. You know, and, and this whole world she's saying is so far away from anything she's in. And, you know, she's embracing this world. She's kind of conquesting into this new world. And so when she's conquesting into this new world, she's mentioning Walter Raleigh and Chris Columbus. And she wraps the new world's flag around her like Dorothy L'Amour, who, you know, had this uh, kind of thing with a flag. I try to remember what it was, like some sort of routine. I don't know. And I just, I love it. I think she was like a Brazilian. And then it's, uh, you know, it's just a great song, kind of just all these lyrics describing the world, a lady in a foreign flag on the arms of her Marlboro man. That's her obviously describing her and Don Elias, who was um, her boyfriend at the time. So she's basically calling him a Marlboro man, which uh, the silence is deafening. Anyways, um, <laughs> she also calls out her mom. We all, we talked about before how Joni Mitchell hates her mother. And, <laughs> well, allegedly. And, uh, she's a six foot drifts on Myrtle's lawn. <laughs> Myrtle's lawn gets brought back into, um, I, it's very interesting. Also, let's talk about how she recalls the song Carrie from blue, where she says African sands on the trade winds and the sun on the Amazon where on Carrie, she says, um, the wind is in from Africa. So, you know, there's some little callback. And I just love, you know, dreamland, 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 dreamland. And then Shaka Khan kind of comes in and does like some vocals. Hey, yeah, 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 hey, yeah, yeah. It's just, they just kind of blend so well with each other. And this is such a good song. This is a great summertime song. I love listening to this in the 10th world in the summertime. They have a brilliant, this whole album actually is a great summer album. It's a good thing I'm reviewing it during the summer. Um, Anyways. But it's a great track. I love Dreamland. I've always loved it. I think it's such a fun version. And actually, if you listen to um, to uh, Shadows and Light, which I'll get to um, in a few weeks, it's a very, you know, it's a great 
version of it on there as well. So I love Dreamland and I love the temp world and this whole thruple of kind of this couple on vacation and then they slowly, Joni blends into this, you know, dream world. But the tenth world, this daring, bold, instrumental chant I don't know sort of vibe and then we go into dreamland which is where she's describing this whole world that she's found herself in it's a really really cool and conceptual piece that I love I think it's brilliant and yeah I don't know it's a it's a really great I don't know why I say I don't know so much because I do know it's a great it's a great you know track so those are that thruple and now we move into the final three thruple of this album which um we'll start with the title track of this album Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. So let's talk about this track, you guys. I mean, it is a part two of Coyote, um, which is a song about Sam Shepard. And this song kind of is also about Sam Shepard, I think. Oh, yeah, no, it is. Sorry. Not I think. I know. (laughs) This song is also about Sam Shepard. And Coyote is basically a song about a woman. So Joni is basically telling Sam Shepard that Oh, well, on Coyote, she's talking about how different they are. And, you know, he's up all night in the studios and she's on a ranch. But then this song is more about how similar they are. And she's talking about, you know, you're the snake on land. I'm the eagle in the sky. There's sort of that. They're counters of each other. But then they also are very similar because she says, I came off two. Da- I came two days off your tail, which is basically because their birthdays are so similar. His was November 5th and hers was November 7th. And so they have similar birthdays, you know, two days off your tail. And so they're twin spirits in a way. And this spirit, there's this spirit, uh, I don't know how to describe it, the spirit that's talking to her throughout the song with another voice. They had a voice, a guy come in and do the voice work for it. I can't remember his name, but he was the kind of the spirit voice. Because if you listen, you can hear uh, like snakes along a railroad track, which I saw someone else on Twitter that also agreed with me that used to think this, that I used to thought it was sex on a railroad track. It was like sex along a railroad track. He says I don't know. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> Maybe I'm just like, I have a bad mind. I don't know. I thought that's what it was. Also, um, let's talk about how or Don Juan, I guess. Don Juan is um, a fictional Spanish pirate who devotes his life to seducing and, you know, womanizing. And it's very interesting that Joni would consider herself Don Juan's reckless daughter. Reckless? Of course. But <laughs> Don Juan, like, why, why Don Juan's? I think Joni kind of is a, a very... I don't know. I, I, I could see her feeling like a free flowing pirate at sea seducing women. I can, I don't know. I kind of see that cause she, or I guess it would be seducing men, but it's, I don't know. It's interesting. I think it's very, you know, fun. Um, also, I should say that this song also is on coyote tuning as well. You know, it's not just a part two of coyote and lyrics, but also in tuning and uh, allegedly Jocko, when he was playing this song in the recording studio, because it's such a like rough song in your fingers, his fingers were bleeding, which is insane. And then someone else's feet, they were doing bells on their feet, like where you, they're basically like when you, you move your, like you're, you're dancing with these bells on your feet and like, it like caused something like because of how intense it was, you know, all these different things. The song has a really rocky rough backing to it not rough in a bad way in a really good way but it's there if you listen um and i love the lyrics on this song so imaginative so interesting i come from open prairie seeking wisdom and and a lot of jive last night the ghost of my bad idea old ideas we ran on channel five (laughs) maybe bad ideas like i love that line like the ghost of my old ideas we ran on channel five that's so interesting and and she does come from open prairie you know she's from uh prairie land and she calls herself a prairie girl later song and a prairie girl 
wow, that compilation album just got two mentions on this. Hopefully everyone's going to be listening. <laughs> so she basically is telling Sam later in the song, she says, you know, the serpent is inside of her, but it's also inside of you. It's all, it's no, the serpent is you, but it's also inside of me. And the eagle is me. And it's also inside of you. I love the line also, as we center behind the eight ball, as we rock between the sheets, there goes that sexual prowess that they have, the center behind the eight ball. That's kind of, you know, a little dirty. And then what about when she says, you're in good old God save America. And then you hear, oh, say, can you see? Like, what a, I don't know. I don't really actually, that is a line I don't um, understand, like, what she's trying to say about, like, in God save America. If anyone has an idea, please let me know. Um, then she talks about, like, the serpent and eagle at, are at war and her, one fighting for desire, one fighting for clarity. It's kind of like one's more about feelings and one's more about rationality. And they're sort of inside of her and she, I don't know, sort of something she deals with. Um, puffed up and strutting sometimes when she wins, down and shaking when she loses. So she has kind of these twin personalities inside of her as well but then also her and sam are these twin personalities and then the spirit that's guiding her is saying you know he's talking in spectrums he talks mother earth to father the sky self-indulgence to self-denial man to woman scale to feather you and i that's such a good lyric oh oh my god that's such well oh this is why i say Joni is the best songwriter of all time because that's such amazing lyricism she literally goes from like a broad picture she goes man to woman scale to feather and then you and I that's I love that I love that and then the bells rattling at the end are very cool and um also can we talk about how she's like eagles in the sky you and I Joni's like the eagle Joni is fucking a bird again she <laughs> not stop calling herself a bird she remember on miles of Isle when she was like and me the chirp she is literally why is she bird or like a bird that whistles sweet bird this woman she must have a fucking aviary somewhere in her vast accumulation of homes and things like that, because she is obsessed with these concepts of her being a free flowing bird. I don't know. I guess the wind's always carrying her. <laughs> oh my God. The non-existent, if there was an audience here, they would be laughing at that joke. Okay. But yeah, so I just love the song. It's such a good, I love the music on this song. Very great playing by Jocko. It's like really well done. And I, yeah, I just, I love this song. The lyricism here is great. And it's a very interesting, kind of, I like that it takes what Coyote is saying about how different they are. And then suddenly she's saying that they're twin spirits, you know? And this is a title track, is a very, uh, a very, I, it's a cool title track. I'm, I'm, I wonder why she, why she chose this as a title track. I don't know. Or like why she chose the name of the album after this song. Cause, well, I guess she could have named the album Paprika Plains. Or maybe she could have named the album The Tenth World. That would have been a cool title, The Tenth World. But I don't know. I, I it's still cool, Damon's Reckless Daughter. And it's a it's a really great song. One of her like longer songs, but it's really great. And I love the again, the rambling on the song's pretty intense. But uh yeah. And her vo her voice work on this song is very interesting as well. But anyways, yes, yeah, so that is Damon's Reckless Daughter. And then the next track is Off Night Backstreet, which is I don't know, this is probably the most rock song on this album. The music in this song is brilliant, or like, it's like real rough and dun 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 Like, really well done, really cool. And it was released as a single, um, didn't chart, but it was as a single. I, I couldn't see a song like this charting. It's There's too many, I don't know, some of the parts of it are a little strange, 
And like they, I, what I was going to say about Joni on this album is love in this final part of the album, like relationships and love are slowly like, we're not in this vacation dream world. Love is slowly but surely kind of falling off the deep, the deep end. And like, by the time we get to the, to the next song, love is completely gone. And she's bitter. She, or not bitter, but she's disillusioned. And here the disillusionment is kind of starting as well. She's slowly descending with love. And, you know, in this relationship, she is the other woman. She's this off night backstreet that this man just uses for sex, but he has another woman that he kind of struts around, you know, cause like her and this man are just stinger to stinger and heart to heart, but he doesn't want to show her off. He has another woman. Now, I don't know who this song is about. I would be very curious if anyone has ideas who this song is about, but um, yeah, it's very interesting. And this woman is, you know, she's moving in with him and she's keeping his house neat and his sheets sweet. Yet Joni's just the off night backstreet. That's it's a ama- really cool lyrics, but it's very sad if you think about it. Like I find this song to be very, very depressing because I mean I have totally, like I totally understand like what she's trying to say. Like being the other woman. Like maybe I'm just kidding myself when I say I love you. Like maybe this isn't even love because you apparently don't love me. You have this other woman that you give your time to like the only time you give time to me is late at night, high in a back room. You're calling me to be some off night backstreet. Um, you bring me such pleasure. You bring me such pain. And then obviously when she's talking about like the like long black hair and the bathtub drain, I think that that's describing like Joni going, like being with him and then like seeing signs of the other woman around, like kind of that pain that it brings. Like you bring me pleasure cause we have sex, but then you bring me such pain when I realize that it's just sex. And um, I actually made this comparison, American Horror by Lana Del Rey, which came out this year, A&W, the, not Jimmy Jimmy Coco Bar, that part, but the first, like the actual song, American Horror, Off Night Backstreet and Silky Veils of Ardor, I feel like are very similar in meaning and context to what that song is saying. If anyone listens to Lana, I love Lana's music. So I, you know, made that comparison when I first heard it. Um, but yeah, I love Off Night Backstreet. It's it's a sad song, but it's a really, well, it's not sad. It's just angry. She's angry. And I love the part because it like kind of slows in sections where it's like, you bring me such pleasure, you bring me such pain. Like I hear the pain in her voice on this song and it's, it's, it's kind of heart gut wrenching, but it's, you know, being the other woman is not a fun place to be. It's very sad. Um, but it's a great, I, the band on this, like, I really love the music on this song. It's probably my favorite part of this song, but it's very sad. And yeah, Off Night Backstreet is a, is a really great song and I highly recommend it. People don't ever talk about this song, but it's a good song. So, you know, gays start bringing this one back up. I'm sure there are gay, there is a gay man that can totally rep, like remember this or not remember, relate to this song. (laughs) I didn't say it was me. Okay. Please leave me alone. Um, (laughs) Maybe it is. I don't know. So, there's Off Night Backstreet, and now we are going to the closer, the Silky Veils of Ardor. Ooh. I'm promising myself that I'm not going to cry when I'm reviewing this song. <laughs> um, and I'll try to keep it as... No, well, I won't keep it as short as possible. I'm going to talk about this song as much as I fucking want, because it is brilliant. This song is fucking brilliant. It is so sad. Oh my God. This is such a sad song. I literally tear up every time I listen to the song or if I'm singing, playing the song, I tear up. It's, she is just, so 
I this is the end of her asylum contract, right? You know, it's kind of the end of this 70s period. Well, I guess Mingus is the end of the 70s. But, you know, this is her 70s period is starting to come to a close. And I think this song is kind of the antithesis of both sides now. Both sides now and like the circle game see aging and time moving on, seeing things is helping you know, life and helping your experience and you learn more and you're, you know, you evolve and you become a better person because of it. This song is like, fuck that shit. I have been through so much hell with men and with life and I am just completely disillusioned and so over it. Um, I should say that this song is one of the, is the least ornamental track on the album for sure. It's just Joni and her guitar. And I love that this song kind of strips Joni cause it's, you know, sort of a retrospective on the past, you know, 10 years of her career, it strips her back to the beginning. You know, it ends with what Joni started with, with just a guitar and her folk singer days. And she kind of references that with, you know, the uh, first few lines, like where she says she's a poor wayfaring stranger. Like that's like a folk song, poor wayfaring stranger. And then um, come all you fair and tender schoolgirls references the folk song, come all you fair and tender ladies. So it's sort of interesting that she's kind of referencing these folk songs. And I think she's saying She's saying that, like, my younger self, my folk self, my song to a seagull or Ladies of the Canyon self was so naive and so um, misguided or tricked by the silky veils of ardor. And now she realizes that if she'd only seen through them, she would have saved herself through so much pain. And I like, you know, if I go verse by verse, her talking about you know, she brings back this idea of traveling with, you know, Hajira. She's traveling. She's always traveling in her career. And now she's saying, you know, I am a, just a poor stranger traveling through highs and lows. And she her, she was told at one point that the world had no sickness and danger and it was merciful. But, you know, she realizes that it, uh, and it was merciful with peaceful waters. She starts, the you know, kind of saying what she was told the world was. She was told that everything would work out. You know, and that's where she is on both sides now, you know. It's cloud illusions. I would all, like, I really don't know clouds at all. But what about in the circle game when she says, like, there'll be new dreams, maybe better. But now we're saying, you know, that naive world. Then she goes in to say, like, all these young girls, um, be aware. Like, be, like, be careful when you court young men. Because they're like the stars in the summer morning. They sparkle up the night and then they're gone. The day breaks down. She's breaking down. Her her happy illusions of life are breaking down. She's completely stripped back. She's stripped of all hope. And I think that's why she strips it to the guitar as well. Just like just guitar. Um, and then she goes, the third verse is probably the most killing where she says, if I had only seen through the silky veils of ardor, what a killing crime this love can be. I would have locked up my heart in a golden sheath of armor and kept its crazy beating under stricter secrecy, high security, you know, she would have kept, like, if she'd only seen through the guise that the world had given her, she could have saved herself through so much. And she, and if she could have, she would have locked up her heart. She would have locked up all the emotions she gave in a golden sheath of armor to save it. And then the final verse is, ugh, like, we talk about, like, hearkening back. And the final verse, she hearkens back to, um to uh, the idea of calling to the seagull. Think about like episode one, we talk about song to a seagull and calling to the seagull to give her guidance. Well, now she's calling to 
Noah's white dove. She's saying, you know, I wish I had Noah's white dove so she could fly the not peaceful water because it's not peaceful, the raging river to find some sort of love or happiness. But then she realizes in that final verse, and I'll just read the final verse, I have no wings and the water is so wide. We'll have to row a little harder. It's just in dreams we fly. In my dreams we fly. So think about it. This whole album is about dreams and, you know, escaping into dreams. Oh, dreams and all these like dreamland and all this stuff. And then suddenly she realizes at the end of this album, oh my God, her fucking mind is so good. She realized at the end of this album, the only reason that I've been happy is because I've been living in dreams and I've been living under this guise. Dreams are the only area where I can be happy because the reality is, you know, harsh and killing her and breaking her down and it's this raging water is going to drown her in a way and she's like can noah's white doves please guide me and protect me and find and like bring a rainbow to you know save my save my life it's it's so good and like obviously the white doves are on the cover too you know they get referenced again but this is such this is my favorite Joni album closer of all time I have to say, it is an amazing, amazing closer. It's so, it's so heartbreaking. I feel so bad for her when I hear this song, but I relate to this song so much. Like I totally can put myself in the shoes of, you know, being so disillusioned with love that you don't even know how you're going to continue anymore. I've, I've definitely had that feeling before um maybe still do um but yeah so that is silky veils of ardor i wish i could have you know or not wish i'm sorry i didn't you know say it short in a shorter way but yeah i just love that song so much and so yes that is don juan's reckless daughter oh my gosh oh such a good it's such a good album i love this album so much fuck any any of the haters for the songs um justified for the cover to be a hater but for the songs, give it a chance. Um, but yeah, so I'll do my little, the little rating per every episode. So for the music, I would give this album a 10 out of 10 because, or the album, like the songs, definitely a 10 out of 10. Love it. For the artwork, a zero out of 10. Um, <laughs> for the offensiveness and the absolutely disgustingness of it. But um yeah, this music is a 10 out of 10. It's, it's amazing. It's so experimental. It's conceptual. It's it's perfect. Um, my favorite song on this album is either Silky Veils of Ardor or Paprika Plains. It's either of those two. <clears throat> Excuse me. And my least favorite track is Jericho. I don't hate Jericho. It's just, again, it's just like not my favorite track. I, you know, just not my favorite. But that's okay. <laughs> that is okay. I'm sure it's someone's favorite. But, uh... Yeah, so that's Tom Wine's Reckless Daughter. Kind of fun to escape into that little dreamland. <laughs> wink, wink of sorts in this album. It's it's such a g- interesting little gem of an album with, the uh, you know, some really interesting and unique things inside. Some, some questionable things um, inside as well. Definitely some bad things on the cover. But to... To say that this album is a big step in Joni's career is, is very true. You know, it really guides her into a whole different direction. And next week is going to be a full jazz direction um, with Mingus, or not next week, the week after, um, is going to be with Mingus, which is so exciting. Um, I say week after because I'm going on vacation. But anyways, 
um, with Mingus, and I'm so excited to talk about Mingus and whole her whole relationship with Charles, and that's gonna be really fun. But yeah, I'm I really hope you guys enjoyed my talking about Damon's Reckless Daughter. It's it's I'm really you know it was really fun to kind of relook at this album in a whole deeper lens. It's because there's so much going on that I didn't even realize. You know, I'm really happy about it. But um, yeah. So next time we will be with Mingus. But thank you so much for listening. Um, leave us a reviewer a rating on um, wherever you listen, Spotify or Apple or whatever. And um, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time on Mingus. Bye.